I'm Jeff Gibson. And I'm Shanna Paxton. And we are the, the Movie, Movie Lovers. Lovers. Welcome. Hello. To the official podcast of the Gibson Review. In this episode, we start the beginning of a three-episode arc with the Weekend Review. Getting back in the swing of things after the whole like holiday season, awards season kind of thing. Injury end of the year season. stuff. So, uh, with this episode, we will be talking about TV shows and movies we have been watching since the last Week in Review episode, which in this case was only a couple episodes ago, but still, we ended up racking up a few things to talk about. So, first, we will start with Shanna's Week in Review. Shanna, you have watched a couple TV shows to share with us. Why don't you dive on in? Sure, there's been two shows that I've watched with, uh, actually, there's three things I've watched with my stepson, and that's been quite fun, and then one by myself. Uh, the first one I watched by myself and then again with him, so in the last month I've seen this show twice, it is The Witcher Blood Origin. There's only four episodes, it's on Netflix. This is a prequel to The Witcher of about a thousand years. Seven outcasts in an elven world join forces in a quest against an all-powerful empire. Uh, if you've watched The Witcher, then you know that the elves eventually, you, you know, are featured. This was a nice, this was a fairly decent show. At first, I wasn't sure how I felt about it. But then second episode, you know, I, I got into it. And I, I like the fourth episode in particular. That's where a lot of stuff happens. Who stars in this one? Is this a completely different story? What, what, what do we got it's going on? It's not a completely different story. The first few minutes that you see are of where we left off in season two, actually, okay. which is kind of cool. And then you see the musician, the bard uh, character being taken away from the battle and basically taken to this safe place because this woman i don't know what she is needs the bard to sing a song about true events that people have forgotten about mm. uh, because it's going to have clues mm. so it's kind of cool in that it's setting up what's gonna how do all the pieces fit together because all we know about certain things that happen in in this show is a song that the bard sings and it's very little bits of information and so now this kind of fills in those gaps mm -hmm. and that's his mission is to make a song but you don't really it's not really about him he's kind of the viewer okay. if you like the narrator no he's like in a way no so we've got new characters it's very exciting we've got uh sophia brown lawrence forian Mirren mack we see Minnie driver for a minute but oh. Oh, what's good. really cool is michelle yo Okay. I was going to ask if there's any recognizable uh, Well, cast you know, members. with fantasy, it's usually like they're probably in other fantasy stuff. Oh, okay. Uh, but so someone... Mich Michelle Yeoh and Minnie Driver. And then I'm quite a fan of Francesca Mills. She is the dwarf that is fighting with a sword that she has her girlfriend's name. She's named it after her girlfriend. Oh. And she's just like awesome. So the characters are lovely. The story is great. It moves pretty quickly, and you're not really sure what Michelle Yeoh's intentions are sometimes, but it's all fantastic, and it happens really fast. And what it does is it actually inspires you to watch The Witcher Season 1 and 2 before number 3 comes out again. So that's what our son Logan is doing right now as he's watching Season 1 again without me. A few quick questions. Yeah. One, 
is this a like a continuing series that'll have its own seasons or is it just a limited series no even netflix like titles it at the top netflix limited series okay this is really just there to fill in the gaps because i think so much more is going to happen in season three and is it so it's definitely not something you can watch without having seen the proper show i mean you could start with this show Uh uh-huh and then if you're paying attention things will make sense but it's my third time watching season one it's logan's second time watching season one it's non-linear storytelling Uh and he's starting to put the pieces together and what he's also doing is he's saying oh from blood origin they mentioned blah 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 Uh okay yeah so do you think it's as good well i think it's different Mm. no it's not as good it doesn't have henry cavill so okay (laughs) that makes a difference okay and it's not that story that we're used to. Uh-huh. This is some, it's an origin, so it's a little different. But okay. it doesn't feel like it's trying to be The Witcher. It feels like it's like, hey, so you don't know this side of the story. He has this side of the story. It almost feels like Rogue One, uh, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Okay, so how would you rate uh, The Witcher Blood Origin? Probably seven. Seven out of ten. Still pretty good. It's pretty good, yeah. I think everybody who's a fan of The Witcher should watch it. Okay. All right, what else you got? Next is something that our son wanted to show me. It is an anime called Spy Family. And it's available on Hulu. A spy on an undercover mission gets married and adopts a child as part of his cover. His wife and daughter have secrets of their own and all three must strive to keep together. This is hilarious. The first few episodes on Hulu are available in English dub and I'm not usually into that, but I was busy doing other stuff and Logan was like, well, why don't we try it? And so I was like, okay. And then I actually fell in love with the voice actors. I really came to know their voices. And then I think at like episode 12 or something there's no more english dub so i don't know why that is how many episodes are there i think there's like 22 maybe oh wow maybe 25 i don't know so i'm a little confused why that is the case and so i had to switch to the original language but the problem is it's totally different voices right of course yeah and so usually i get annoyed with the english dubbing but this time i wasn't actually that annoyed but what is it about it seems to me like a country that has been divided in two and is at war with each other Mm -hmm. and spies are needed to try and bring about peace Uh, we don't actually see a war happening but we do see characters being questioned and then taken away and not coming back Okay. So we're aware of that, but we don't, it's not very clear why there is a war yet. Uh His mission is to get a child to attend a private school so he can get his child on the honor roll, essentially, and access honor roll parents only social events to help get information from someone who would be pivotal in gaining peace. Okay. So it's not specific about the countries, the nationalities, but there is some um, sort of war or something, and and you're following uh, someone who's a spy who's posing as a family to try to get information. I guess I could say that the father is a spy, but so is the mother. Okay. Yeah. Okay. And then the daughter can read minds. Okay. So there you go. 
Okay. It's and you quite like a lot the show? Fun. I love it. Okay. <laughs> I think it's great. I think it's very funny. Okay. Excellent. Uh, what would you give that out of? I give this one a nine. It's nine very wow, enjoyable. Wow. It's, you know, it's, it's, it's like a more crazy adult version of Bluey. <laughs> like, what? Because <laughs> what you're seeing is parents trying to figure out how to be parents, but also save a country. So huh, okay. it's very interesting. And then the daughter knows what's going on all the time. Uh-huh. So she feels like she's somewhat responsible as well. And she's only like, we don't actually know her age. She could be four. She could be six. Well, if she's going to school, she's probably older than Nobody four, knows but... her age because she was adopted. Oh, so okay. All right. So that is Spy Family available on Netflix. Spy Family is available on Hulu. Oh, on Hulu. Okay. Blood Origin is available on Netflix. Okay, the next thanks. one is available on HBO. So we're doing all the rounds. Yeah. <laughs> the only thing missing is Apple TV, which is one of my favorite. Oh, didn't you watch something on Apple TV? Uh, I've started watching. Okay, I guess I can briefly speak about it because it's just one episode. Want- Truth Be Told, season three, uh, episode one. What about Servant? I'm not finished yet. Oh, okay. Never okay. mind. Then. I was thinking of that. And my viewing experience of The Servant has been separated over time, and I might have to start all over again with the season two. So uh, what's no. the HBO Max show you want to talk about? The HBO show is Velma. I'm a huge Scooby-Doo fan. It was a cartoon that I grew up with. This is not for children. Uh, they're releasing new episodes each week. The cast is quite something we've got mindy kayleen as velma we've got sam richardson as shaggy uh constance Wu as daphne it's great <laughs> who am i missing here glenn howerton as fred and then jane lynch and wanda sykes are daphne's parents mm, wow and then oh fortune femster is also in it she's a an awesome comedian gary cole who else have we got here? Nicole Byer, I see. Mm-hmm. Melissa Fermero. Weird Al Yankovic is in there. <laughs> this is just... Weird. It's just... And the problem... The, the cast is just stellar and amazing. And I, I can see... Maybe I just have to hang in there. But it is an insane show. It doesn't stop. This feels like... Um, Cartoon Network, maybe Adult Swim on steroids. It's just moving so fast. It's trying really hard not to be the Scooby-Doo we grew up with. Hmm. Uh, Like Fred is this privileged white dude that doesn't has so many servants that he doesn't even know how to cut his own meat. Like it's just it's really insane. Hmm. And then Velma has these sort of awake night terrors so night like terror visions Hmm. and if you recall velma is like the most scientific logical Mm -hmm, one mm -hmm. so i don't know how they're going to justify this let me ask you this this thing has a terrible reputation from viewers it has a 1.3 out of 10 on IMDb. That Jesus. is the worst reviewed thing on IMDb. Now, we have seen things on IMDb be review bombed um, horribly. Do you think that this is another case of a, a pretty decent show that's been horribly review bombed? Or do you think this is actually pretty bad? I don't think that this is pretty bad. I just think that this is doing something totally different. But is it doing it well? I don't know yet. How, how many episodes have you seen? I think three. Well, you get a pretty good handle after three the episodes. The thing is, I'm interested. Out of how many? 
I don't know how many are coming. It's been released live. Okay. Okay. The thing is, you're interested? I'm interested. I want to see where it's going. But it's also just insane. Mm-hmm. You know? Mm-hmm. But if you think about all the other Scooby-Doo shows, you've got the normal Scooby-Doo show. You've got the Scrappy Dappy-Doo show. You've got the Scooby-Doo Kids show. You've got... You know, recently there were three or four different versions of Scooby released. One was a good balance, some somewhat scary, somewhat, you know, decent. And then another one was just crap. Yeah, but they're all for kids. Like, the question is, who, really. is, who is this for? I think this is for, like, strong adults, like, past 25. Do you think people who have grown up with Scooby-Doo their entire lives now are now, are now in their 30s or 40s are going to love Velma? I don't think they are. There and that up, that upsets me because it's Velma. I want to know more about Velma. We never get to hear about her story, mm. you know? So what would you give Velma out of 10? A five at this point. A five. Which is more reasonable than a one. Yeah. So. Gotcha. All right. Well, it sounds like it's a missed opportunity overall. Pretty... Pretty mediocre at best. Uh, is there anything else you wanted to tell us about? The last thing is our son and I, we were checking out HBO, trying to figure out what to watch. And we saw This Place Rules, driving through the perfect storm. This Wh- is... What is uh, This Place Rules? It's by Andrew Callahan, And it captures the events and different characters that you were coming that you would be coming across surrounding the January 6th insure, uh, 2021 insurrection of the US Capitol. He was just this reporter is out there doing his thing. He's interviewing people as per usual and I guess what he realized was this pattern of absolute hatred and, and uh, I don't even know how to explain it that was starting to develop. And so he just put it all together. He was not there at the insurrection. He was actually sick. Mm. I don't think that that's really a spoiler. So I guess that kind of brought about, I'm just going to you know, put this all together and show you what was happening. And basically he breaks down a few groups of people that were profiting and maybe still are profiting from the hatred that, Trump was spouting. Mm. So it's really interesting to see. And at the end of the film, Logan and I were talking and I said, I mean, I get it. I get that there's, you know, you watch this and you're like, well, of course there was an opportunity for people to make money in a very niche way. Is it the right thing to make money from? Probably not. But yeah. Mm. So is this a series or a movie? This is just one movie. I think it's mm-hmm. about an hour and a half long. Okay. And and uh, did you find it to be helpful or did, did you find it uh, enlightening in any way, illuminating? Watching Andrew is very interesting. He's mm-hmm. going out and he's interviewing some very extreme people for, uh, on one side and some extreme people on the other side too. So I, I don't think it's quite balanced with both being represented. Okay. But there is some of it being shown. Mm. So he's, I think he's focusing on like far, far right people. Mm. And, and every now and again, you hear from a far left person. Watching him was very interesting because he did not really 
he did not emote to anything. Okay. Which I guess he is didn't react. yeah, which I guess is great for that kind of job. I would not be able to do that. Mm-hmm. I would not be able to hold in my reaction or my facial expressions. So that was very interesting. And then watching him put the events together was interesting and interviewing different people. Yeah. So you recommend this place for us? I think it's good to watch, especially oh. if you're trying to make sense of the insurrection. Okay. So maybe just steal yourself emotionally uh for the experience what would you rate the documentary oh, i'd give it an eight an eight out of ten okay so that's that's your weekend review yeah yeah that's me okay so to reassess you watched the witcher blood origin spy family velma and this place rules of that it sounds like the only thing you kind of don't recommend is velma is that correct yeah i guess so and the the thing um you recommend the most out of those other ones? Um, if you're a Witcher fan, Blood Origin, and if you're looking for a fun show, I would say Spy Family. All right. So for my week in review, I, I was actually surprised. I was able to scrounge up a couple of things that I've been able to see because a lot of my time has been doing work for an article that hopefully will be published around the time that this podcast is published. That is an article about my 20 favorite movies uh, from the 1920s. So some of that required me to rewatch silent films I haven't seen in a long time. And some of it required me to, to um, watch silent movies I haven't seen uh, before. Um, some examples include like The Thief of Baghdad, Pandora's Box, Metropolis. Well, I, actually, I didn't rewatch Metropolis, but... Uh, I don't think that was necessarily available. I would say like, oh, The Freshman and Sparrows with Mary Pickford and and several others. Uh, so what's interesting is a couple of, of my new experiences didn't make it to the list. A couple of my new experiences did not make it to my list. Um, but it was really fascinating to me to watch these movies made around or less just under a hundred years ago and to really think about like okay what about the movies that came out like this past couple years and and how far has filmmaking come and how far has storytelling come and and like the the way stories are told and in terms of pace or or um meaning I, i i'm i find actually more of these films have much more uh, symbolism or meaning than the average film today, mm. which I, I think is interesting. I think that's something that's kind of lost. Unfortunately, people, uh, you know, you could go on to any, dis- engage in any discussion on, on social media and you'll see that people aren't really like valuing mu- much beyond plot driven stuff like and whether or not you know if you have something that exists for thematic reasons and exists like a whole scene or whatever that exists only for thematic reasons people will find that you know the whole movie could have gone without that scene and wouldn't have been changed you know and and they kind of miss that whole point and so that's kind of interesting like i'm kind of reflecting some of the things that i've been thinking about while watching these movies well hopefully you'll see my article of my 20 favorite movies from the 1920s uh, pretty soon here. If not by now, uh, go to thegibsonreview.com to check out that. Look out for that in the, I think it'll probably be under the Film Faves tab. In addition to that, I checked out a couple TV shows myself. First, 
There is a documentary that we have talked about on this podcast, Shanna, that we are fans of. Maybe I like it more than you. I'm not sure. But it's called The Queen of Versailles. Do you remember that documentary? Yeah, I think you're a big fan of it. Okay. I thought it was fascinating, especially at the time that it came out. It was post-recession, and, and it was just this interesting glimpse of this uber-wealthy family, these talk-about-the-haves, and their quote-unquote struggles during the recession um, and how the recession even affected their business. <laughs> I'm sorry, their struggles during the recession. Right. Everybody suffered, but, I mean, I'm pretty sure they suffered minimally. Right. You know, it's interesting to see what that looks like in the documentary. Sure, sure. And, and also, they were. it's called the Queen of Versailles because they were building this huge freaking home in florida and by a huge i mean huge it was like a record-breaking you know uh, a mansion that they didn't complete because basically there was money problems that that you know they couldn't keep funneling the money into the, the project right well apparently Someone got the idea to make a sequel limited documentary series hmm. based on the Queen of Versailles. It's called The Queen of Versailles Reigns Again. It's on HBO Max. And I checked it out because I'm a fan of The Queen of Versailles, so why not? And oh my gosh, I don't think I'll finish it. Oh, <laughs> because- okay. Because what it does is it takes the Queen of Versailles and it, it and it becomes like one of those home renovating shows, but like a reality TV, like mix Real Housewives with a home renovating show. Mm. And you kind of get a sense of the flavor of what this show is, right? Mm-hmm. It's like... Uh, every little thing is highly dramatized. You get the the back the the, the dramatic music and maybe the okay. cuts or the close ups. Awesome. You know when something goes wrong. So reality and, TV. Yeah, yeah. It's yeah, not right? a documentary anymore. Right. There you go. Yeah. There you go. And and it's all about them trying to finish this project. And she creates this arbitrary deadline of I want this thing done by New Year's Eve. I want to have a New Year's party. And it's like February or something like that. So you have wow. this amount of time. These people that I'm hiring to fix mistakes and to complete the project by the end of the year. And, you know, you just hear, the, you just see these people kind of panic and be like, uh, well, we don't want to rush things you know? and, and try That's to. That's when kinda, bad stuff happens. Right. Try to explain these things and, and what sort of setbacks and stuff. I saw like, I want to say I saw, I watched a couple episodes uh, uh, of it and it's a different feel from the film. Um, the, so far as what I saw, the husband, who's kind of the reason behind the, the money, he's not in, in the show. They say, um, the episodes I saw, he was in undergoing back surgery, which at this point in his life, how old he is at this point is actually life threatening. Like something could easily go wrong in the back surgery. But we should just build a massive house. We should continue (laughs) doing that. So okay. I can't recommend the Queen of Versailles right. Reigns again. I I mean, unless you really like that kind of stuff, what, it's it's definitely if you're a fan about of the people movie. that really love home renovations. Like, would this be? If like, you're cool with that, having a dash of like, you know, the those one percenter reality shows, mm. you know, then by all means, relish in it. But yeah, it's not quality tv it's not up to the the, the quality of the film hmm. i recommend finding the well, film. and i'm also like 
people keep saying we're going to enter another recession. I don't want to. Nobody yeah. wants to. But yeah. I'm like, we're going to do this again? <laughs> it feels yeah. a bit yeah. weird. It's, it's definitely a show where, like, you feel like these people exist just outside of reality. Mm. You know, I mean, like, they she goes to an exotic zoo with the intention of seeing if she can buy a particular animal that matches drapes that she has or something like that. You know what I mean? Like, just like these people exist in a whole nother world. (laughs) You know what I mean? So yeah, that's not like a, let's go get some real life inspiration. No, I want to buy an animal to match the room. Yes. Oh Jesus. Okay. Uh, So So that is recommending of that. That is the queen of Versailles reigns again. That is on HBO max. Uh, Next there was a show that I grew up with that I loved that I thought was, uh, you know, as a kid growing up watching it on NBC, I enjoyed quite a bit. Um, you know, maybe it wasn't always healthy for, for me as a grade schooler to watch, be, given some of the characters in it, but I enjoyed it greatly. It was called Night Court. Oh, okay. There's also a show in more recent times that I love that I enjoy greatly called The Big Bang Theory. From that, there's a, a, a character named Bernadette played by Melissa Rauch who I love and think is fantastic. I think she's got a lot of promise. I've seen a film that she's done, I don't know, sometimes in the past decade. I was not thrilled with that film, but I always want to champion her as a talent and, and you know, really encourage her work and, and whatever she chooses to do. Well, she apparently decided, after the Big Bang Theory, she was going to make a deal with NBC to revive Night Court, this 80s to early 90s sitcom about i mean it's 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 a very silly thing about a night night time court she revives it it's been heavily promoted on peacock and nbc i'm sure you've seen at least one ad for it boy oh boy are they hoping this catches on they dropped two episodes on air as the debut and I watched it out of curiosity, not expecting much. I will say, do not expect great things out of the show because my question is why? Why revive it? Is it even something that can translate to today? Uh, especially if you stick with the, the original tone and everything. And I was not over the moon with what I saw. I saw the first two episodes. I, I will say they brought back the original theme, and that's kind of cool, and, and, and a version of the original opening title credits, which is kind of cool. But and, and, and Melissa Rauch plays Harry Anderson's daughter. Harry Anderson was, I think the, the character's last name is actually different, but I believe the actor's Harry Anderson. He played the judge, Harry, in Night Court. Uh, she plays her his daughter, and she's trying to be very optimistic and help the night court. And she thinks bringing back Dan Fielding, played by John Larroquette, will help matters. For whatever reason, this movie or this show, I, I have heard that you really have to get past the first four episodes before it gets good. I can't do that. <laughs> um, if you if you really want to see it, well, I recommend... Maybe it's the same as Velma. Me, well, maybe. <laughs> Be. That you got to get through the four episodes. Maybe. Look, to be honest, four episodes is only 80 to 90 minutes. You know, if you're willing to power through 90 minutes of mediocre sitcom writing, 
by all means. Uh, let me know how it goes after that. But I checked out the first two episodes and I was like, oh, yeah, I've had enough. Mm-hmm. I, I can't recommend uh, Night Court based on the the opening uh the debut night, unfortunately. So Darn. that's that's that. And then lastly, I've had a very disappointing time with TV. I checked out another <laughs> TV show on Netflix. This one was called Blockbuster. Oh, yeah. Now, this stars Randall Park and Melissa Fermero and, oh, what is his name? One other guy who I love. I've seen in a lot of things. I just can't remember his name right now. And it is so. Here's the thing: is it a it is about the employees at a, a, at a blockbuster video? All right, a video rental establishment. But here's the weird thing: okay. it's actually set today, and it starts right off in the first couple minutes that all that this is the last existing blockbuster. So we're in Oregon. <laughs> Right? It doesn't say that. Right? Because that's the real thing. That is the real thing. But yeah, so it is It is not... It, it, it makes that really weird decision in its entire premise of being set today and trying to survive as a video uh, rental store. And mm. this guy who has a cast of characters, probably like four, four to six characters as his crew, who oddly enough are always scheduled to work at the same time, all of them. I noticed that after a while. I was like, wait a minute. (laughs) (laughs) You know, he has to figure out how to keep them all employed, how to keep the business surviving, and all that sort of stuff. Randall Park plays the manager and now owner of this location. Melissa Fumero is an old high school friend, I believe, slash love interest, slash co-worker um, in it. And there's a guy who's really funny, his name escapes me right now. He plays a owner of a nearby party store that is very much obviously a party city who also like is savvy enough to own like the properties. So um so basically Randall Park's character pays him rent, mm-hmm. right? For mm-hmm. and he has to raise enough money to pay him rent. But they're also like old 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 high school buddies so they have a tight bond and stuff and they try to make sure business doesn't get in the way of stuff <laughs> long story short business gets in the way no well uh, they, they manage that as far as i've seen I, I watched a few episodes of this and man this thing sounds like it's catnip for me and mm-hmm. it just is just not that strong. Oh, that it's, really sucks. Like, I love Melissa Fermero from Brooklyn Nine-Nine. Mm-hmm. I was excited to see her in something else, a totally different environment. Randall Park, I've seen a few, yeah. several episodes of Fresh Off the Boat. And, and several show. other things. I love him. I think he's great. But, yeah, this show is just not that great. It's just not that interesting. I think even creatively, like, if this show was set in the 80s, or 90s, I think that would be cool. Yes, there would be higher production value, probably, to try to create the dated costumes and other things. But it would just make more sense if we're making a, a show about Blockbuster and, and, and you know, uh, that environment. But it feels like, uh, I know this show has a lot of fans. I couldn't get into it, but it feels like the superstore of Blockbuster, where it's all about the antics that the entire crew gets up to mm. while also adding on top of this this dynamic of trying to keep this store alive mm-hmm. and i'm not really 
into that. I didn't love what I saw of Superstore and those other uh, shows with that same kind of concept and dynamic. And I just, uh, I just was kind of let down by Blockbuster. So I, I give Blockbuster a five out of ten. Going backwards, Night Court, I give a four out of ten. Mm. Queen of Versailles reigns again. I give a three out of ten. And you'll just have to see what my favorite 1920s movies are. But that makes up my week in review. Kind of a disappointing drag for me in terms of modern day stuff. Had a better time with the uh, Mm 100-year-old works. So that leads us to our week in review. We have just two things, I believe, that we watched together to talk about. Okay. We're hitting the HBO Max pretty hard in this episode, surprisingly. <laughs> it is one of the more expensive subscriptions, so yes. Is we it? need to okay. make sure it's like really being watched and enjoyed. Good to know. We paid for it with this episode. It is. <laughs> we watched a documentary oh, that I don't think anybody knows exists. I only know exists because I listened to a podcast and have listened to a podcast for the past 10 to 15 years. And... Back when this movie was hitting the festival circuits, this documentary, the podcast interviewed the filmmakers of this film. And I don't know if the film ever got any distribution. This is the, and I've only seen it on HBO Max past couple years. Um, I haven't seen it ever, anywhere else. Mm. So we finally watched it. It's called 12th and Delaware. Mm-hmm. Now, 12th and Delaware... You'll have to correct me if I'm wrong. This is about an intersection in Florida? I think it's Florida, yeah. Okay. An intersection in a small town in Florida in which there was a abortion clinic. And across the street, years after this abortion clinic opened, mm. a pregnancy center, in quotes, opened. Which mm-hmm. is basically a uh, uh, sorry, pro-life clinic so you have a pro-choice and pro-life clinic on opposite corners of a street yes it's quite something yes and so this documentary basically follows these two clinics shanna i knew this would be subject matter that (laughs) would be of keen interest to you yeah what did you think of 12th and delaware so i'm not gonna like tiptoe around it i am definitely pro-choice that is your decision you should have a you should have safe access to that okay should you need it therefore the first 12 minutes were horribly uncomfortable for me and i really had to like box breathe and it was difficult because we start with pro-life clinic Mm mm-hmm I'm not saying that we shouldn't see pro-life clinic. I wanted to see both, Mm. but we stopped at the 15-minute mark. I thought we had been watching it for 30 minutes and it was only 15. So maybe that's how pro-lifers feel about pro-choice stuff. And I'm like, I'm sorry that you feel uncomfortable. (laughs) It's, It's a shitty feeling. But we do get to see both sides. Mm. And that was really important. And it was nice that they gave the first half to pro-life. Why is because that? Because as far as I'm aware, most of the movies I've watched are pro-choice. Then again, I'm not going out and seeking the 
religious funded films mm-hmm. that are doing that it's just not my thing mm-hmm, mm-hmm. um maybe i'd feel differently if i had that perspective but i don't have time for that uh for those movies not perspective for those movies and this, this documentary did a really good job if anything i think we should have paid attention to when it switched to pro-choice it was like halfway through okay yeah so it was pretty even and it's not a long documentary i don't no. recall no i think it's about an hour and a half hour 20 so not not very mm-hmm. long at all mm-hmm. i think that they do focus on the different characters if you will subjects for the pro-life clinic a lot more So we're following different people. Mm -hmm. Whereas with the pro-choice clinic, we're following two, mostly one. And with a sprinkling of the second person. There's the two owners. Yeah. Right. And occasionally whoever comes in, but it's those people are always like uh, cropped out of the frame, so to speak. So they're never really revealed. Yeah. And it was just interesting. What they did is they had a good handful of different aged women coming in, Mm, mm, different phases of their life. There was even a 46-year-old woman. Mm -hmm. I was not expecting that. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Usually if someone's 46 and they're pregnant, they're trying to get pregnant. To the pro-choice, to the the the, abortion clinic. To the abortion clinic. And we also got to see someone who has six kids and is now pregnant with their seventh. Yeah. We see someone, it's their first, they're 15. Mm-hmm. We see someone who's in their 20s who has three kids already. So a variety of you know, ages. It, yeah. it was good. And yeah. we saw black women and we also saw uh, Mexican women. I think it's important to note, like, this is not an affluent area. Uh, you know, obviously, these, these people are all low, low income who come to these places. Yeah. And what I noticed... It's good comparison. Mm. It's a good contrast and compare. Mm-hmm. I think it's good that this movie exists. I think it tried very hard to show both sides because the goal of this movie, I think, is for both sides to sit and watch mm. and get a perspective from the other side. Mm. I get it. You, you, you know, I get both sides. I obviously totally get pro-choice. And from this documentary, I was like, I can see how hard you're working, but you're just just trying to stop a person from making a decision. You're not actually there supporting them post the decision. Well, yeah. Because I'm sure they would have shown that if they were. So that's, that's, there's a lot of things that's interesting about this documentary. Mm -hmm. You pointed out a couple of them. I think it made a very smart decision in focusing on the pregnancy center first. Uh, I think that I just don't like calling it a pregnancy center. That's literally they just do an ultrasound. That's, that's literally what, what it's called. That's literally what it's called on the sign. But uh, I, I think it is very smart for them to start that way because mm-hmm. that removes any argument of bias and it removes bias really from the viewer, right? It get it, it doesn't let you buy into a particular um, thing. I mean, you know, I think it's very smart is basically the point. But I think also, like, when they are following the pregnancy center, you see them do, like, trainings with yeah. other employees. 
you get and you get some I guess. you get some side conversations between the the office mates about a particular client who's come in. You you get an idea of what it is that they do there, and they count it like it's a win, right? It's about like winning and and getting someone on their side. It's like almost like a game in in a in a way. And and the movie is the the, the camera is completely objective. It's literally just observing. On both sides, it's just observing what people say. People kind of uh, hang themselves with their own rope mm. and the pregnancy center. And if you do actual research on this pregnancy center, which I believe still exists from what I could tell, the reason why you don't see them do anything after getting these people to uh, choose to, to have their baby and the various ways they do that, including manipulating the time frame, is because they don't do any, they don't offer any other services, right? They don't help with delivery. They don't, they don't offer any financial funding. They don't help. And look, it's called a pregnancy center, but there is no support beyond, yes, you're pregnant or no, you're not. Right. Now, you wouldn't necessarily know that from the documentary. It does not spell that out. But if you're watching after a while, you might ask yourselves, well, what what are they doing for these people after they've made this decision? And if you research it, there's not a lot that they're actually doing. Now, the other side, the the abortion center, it's really interesting hearing them talk. Mm-hmm. You also hear, as you indicated, you hear these actual uh, patients talk. You hear people trying to come into the abortion center and the people on the street who who, who actually like get right up in there on the on the sidewalk and and try to coax people away from coming in and stuff and what they say and what sort of promises they make and you know it's it's a fascinating documentary i think it is a fascinating documentary if you have any interest whatsoever in the roe v wade uh turnover if you have any interest whatsoever in the abortion debate you need to see 12th and Delaware, even though this is shot in 2009. I think it's still... It's so relevant. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I I, I want to show it to our son. I want to show it to our kids. I think it's important that they know mm. about the differences between yeah. clinics. Yeah, it's, it's fascinating in a variety of different ways. You can find it on HBO Max. I give 12th and Delaware an 8 out of 10. Oh, I give it a nine. Excellent. Lastly, one last film we squeezed in. I was hoping to squeeze in two films, but we didn't get to. But we squeezed in one from last year. George Miller's 3,000 Years of Lawning. This mm-hmm. is kind of a movie that came and went. Not Did not have a long box office lifetime. It stars Idris Elba and Tilda Swinton, and it has to do with a what does she call a narratologist someone who studies stories i don't know if that's a real thing very interesting yeah Uh, it's gotta be right i don't know maybe i mean basically all she does is give speeches right oh and lectures i should say she somehow comes in the possession of a lamp and thus a jinn the jinn is played by idris elba and i mean who wouldn't want to see that of course she's presented with (laughs) three wishes what does she do? She she hums and haws over it, and it's about the discussion. Basically, the whole movie is about the discussion of the three wishes with this Jin and his past experiences with past, quote-unquote, masters. Shanna, 
What did you think of 3,000 Years of Longing? Did you know much going into it? Was this a blind viewing, or were you really excited to see this movie? This was pretty blind. All I had was one trailer once and the movie poster. Okay. I was surprised by this film. I really enjoyed it. I liked the concept. I liked how they dealt with the three wishes, how they shared why it's important to wish Mm. and examples of past wishes gone wrong or right. Right. And I thought that that was just super interesting Mm. versus Prince Ali. You know, that's all I have really with my exposure. Disney's Aladdin. Yeah. To um, Jin's. So I I thoroughly enjoyed it. I I thought the two of them had great chemistry. I, I liked the story. I liked it. This movie is, in a large part, about storytelling. And I get that and kind of appreciate that aspect of it because the movie is, like, literally about stories being told. And it is about a, a, someone who appreciates stories being told, right, and studies them. I can't help, but especially with how the direction the movie goes in the third act and and resolves, I can't help but be ultimately unsatisfied by this film. I've been thinking about the ending, too. Mm -hmm. We can talk about it off mic, but I think I know what was actually happening there. And now that I've had some more time to think about it, I'm okay with it. They don't spell out exactly what happens. Mm. And I've had some time to think about it, and I'm like, oh, okay, it makes sense to me now. But do you love it? I do love it, yeah. You do? Yeah. Okay. Sorry to say. No, don't be sorry. <laughs> I I just, I was very underwhelmed by it. George Miller, he directed Mad Max movies. He's directed Babe. He's, he's a fine filmmaker. I mean, anybody who can come back and make something like Fury Road, come on. You know, he's he's no one to turn up your nose at, but and and the visual effects and everything here are, are fantastic, and and the you know little episodic um stories in their own way are well told and stuff, but on the whole, I just did not think it measured up to a whole lot, and I just was not satisfied with its its sort sort of resolution of the whole thing. So I give. 3,000 Years of Longing, a 6 out of 10. I give it an 8. Wow. Yeah. All right. So, <laughs> so uh, we were mixed on 3,000 Years of Longing, but we both highly recommend 12th and, and Delaware on HBO Max, so definitely go check that out. And that is our week in review, thus ending the episode of The Movie Lovers. Shanna, before we talk about what is actually happening next week, because last week I actually gave the wrong information, trying to go off the top of my head. Before we come to that, why don't you share with people where they can find you online? You can find me on Instagram at Shanna Paxton Photography and on Flick Chart Spellbinding A. Okay. Now Jeff's going to tell you the many ways you can find him. I'll tell you three. I'll tell you three. You really, you really only need three. There's a lot. The primary one is the GibsonReview.com. That has all the content, all the articles, all the reviews, all the stuff. The past episodes of The Movie Lovers, go there, GibsonReview.com. Browse around in there. There's plenty to appreciate. Follow on social media so you're kept in the loop of what's coming. Uh, that would be Facebook.com slash The Gibson Review or Instagram, The Gibson 99. I do bracket polls there. We are in the middle of figuring out your co- favorite courtroom drama. 
from last week's episode of Film Faves of the Movie Lovers. Uh, and let's see, I don't think, I think we did our, what, your favorite 1997 movie and Boogie Nights just barely came out on top. Actually, it wasn't even barely. It was a pretty good lead above Titanic for your favorite 1997 movie. So go ahead and follow along if you want to participate in future polls to vote for your favorite movies. Now, this is, as I said at the beginning of the show, this is the first in a three-episode arc for the movie lovers. This is kind of how we do it now, every week. And so next episode, I promise this for this episode, and it's actually for next episode, we will be reviewing... Disney's Strange World. There's not a lot else out there for us to review. Shanna really wanted to see Strange World. Didn't get to. So we're going to cover it in the next episode of The Movie Lovers. Hopefully neither of us will be disappointed by that. But here are our thoughts. If, especially if you've already seen it. Feel free to see if you agree with us. That is on February 6th, Tuesday. Look out for that. And then the following episode, because it is going to be around Valentine's Day, we will be doing a film faves list of favorite breakup movies. Yes, the opposite of what you might expect because we've done love stories and and the like uh, before. So now we're doing breakup movies. Movies that either are started off or primarily about a breakup. So look for that episode on February 13th, and then we'll start a whole new cycle of episodes. Until then, keep loving the movies. This is Jeff and Shanna saying bye-bye.